Hey, I got a response. That's, that's a sign. That's a good sign. We're starting off right. My name is Shane, for those of you who don't know. Uh, a lot of you who do know me know me as the worship leader. We're switching roles today, so that was interesting. I also am the youth resident here at Stonebridge Church. So I get to wear a lot of different hats within the church and do a lot of different things, and it's really cool for me to be able to put this hat on with you guys this morning, and just to be able to open up God's Word with you as a church community. Uh, I hope you all had a good Christmas. Mine was pretty good. Um, If you're anything like me, you start to get a little nervous and a little bit stressed out during the holiday because you never really know what's in store with your family, but luckily this year... It seems that I dodged most of it. I hope you guys did too. It was a pretty stress-free holiday, not a lot of travel involved for us. Uh, So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're going to be in Acts 11 today. We'll be starting in verse 19. We're going to be looking at the church of Antioch. And this passage, this section of verses that we're going to be going through today, is not going to follow the same trajectory seemingly, that a lot of the rest of Acts has. It seems up to this point we've had a lot of great spectacles and crazy things happening within the books of Acts, and, or within the book of Acts, and rather. And today, as we look at the Church of Antioch, we're going to s- see that, to the naked eye, it might just look a little lackluster, a little bit dull compared to what we've seen, but I can promise you that as we dive into this text today, we're going to see that it is anything but... But as you turn there to Acts 11, verse 19, I want to share with you a little bit about me and and my story, how I got here um, to Stonebridge Church specifically and on this stage. So I started off raised uh, in a a home that was not Christian. My first real encounter with Jesus was in high school, uh, and I didn't really treat it like I should have. You see, I called myself a Christian, but... But deep down, I really wasn't living a Christian lifestyle. By the end of my junior year, I probably would have told you I was a Christian, but by the way that I treated girls and the way that I acted at home, you would have seen an entirely different side of me. When I graduated high school, or right after I graduated high school, I got extremely sick, had a brush with my own mortality, and after a long stint in and out of hospitals, I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision. I either needed to accept that there was no God and that bad things happened to good people for no reason, really at all, and that the universe is pretty much random in delegating its punishments and its rewards. Or I needed to double down and actually be all in for Jesus, the person who I was claiming to be all in for for the past couple years. Fortunately, I opted for the latter. I got involved with Salt Company over at Iowa State, and through some very, very faithful small group leaders and friends in my life, I was able to faithfully remain serving Jesus, even though my health remained questionable for the next couple years. It was in that period of time that I met my beautiful wife, Sam, who I believe is in the infant's room this morning during this Uh, first service here, so she's awesome. If you get a chance to meet her after this, you definitely should. But it was in that period I met her, continued serving at Cornerstone Church and helping out there in Salt Company, then in small groups for youth group, and then in worship. And ultimately, that's where Matt met me and asked me if I'd come over here and get involved in worship, and that led to youth, and now we're here. But why do I share all of this with you? 
See, my story is marked by a few things. It's marked by God working through tragedy in my life for good. God using faithful servants of Jesus in my life to impact me for the better. And me being able to serve the church with my gifts and talents as a result of all of that. And I would venture to guess that a lot of your stories are pretty similar to mine. See, we all encounter tragedy And it's through the faithful servants of Jesus that we get to encounter him more fully. And it's the unity of the church. It's all of that that ends up growing us and allowing us to then pour back into the church. So we're going to see today how God works through tragedy to start his church in Antioch. We're going to see today how he uses faithful men and women to grow his church in Antioch. And we're going to see how he uses unity to sustain his church. So if you're there, we're in Acts 11, verse 19 is where we're going to start. We're going to be handling this in three little chunks. So the first chunk we're going to see here is verses 19 through 22. So go ahead and read this with me. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So if you remember way back in chapter 8, this was a few weeks ago, and we've had some breaks for Christmas and things like that. So if you don't remember, I forgive you. Uh, Chapter 8, the same kind of thing happens. We see the same kind of start to chapter 8. We see Stephen stoned to death uh, by the hand of Saul of Tarsus, and we see guys like uh, Peter and Philip and John scattered. And even more people than that, those are just main names we hear and see in scripture, we see them scattered preaching the gospel as they went. So it seems now that we're jumping back to that moment that we saw previously in chapter 8. Christians ravaged by persecution and scattered to the ends of the known world. Persecuted. And bear in mind, this isn't your modern day happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, taking the Christmas off of the Starbucks cups kind of persecution, okay? Saul was sweeping through villages, killing or arresting anyone claiming Jesus Christ. So we see again that they're spread out to places like Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, but still the gospel is only reaching Jews. We see that here in verse 19. At the end of verse 19, it says, Speaking the word to no one except Jews. Then in verse 20, we see men of Cyprus and Cyrene make their way to Antioch, preaching the gospel to Hellenists. Well, why is that, why is that important? Because Hellenists were essentially just non-Jewish Greeks. So entirely separate from Peter's vision and the interaction with the Holy Spirit that we saw previously a couple weeks ago when Matt taught, we see the gospel actually start to reach everyone, including non-Jews. Then in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Not only is the gospel reaching non-Jews, 
but it seems to have done so in great numbers. And the report of these conversions and the start of this church in Antioch makes its way back to Jerusalem. And they end up sending Barnabas to Antioch. The church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas to Antioch at word that this church has started. So I found myself in my study of this wondering what kind of town Antioch was. So as I dove into my commentaries and my history books, I discovered that Antioch wasn't the most kosher place, pun intended. Eh? (laughs) As it turns out, Antioch wasn't the most well-known for its moral upstanding. Antioch itself was the third largest and third most important city in the Roman Empire right next to Rome and Alexandria. And the city was really, really, really well known for its temple prostitution. They loved spectacles like chariot racing and and theaters and and all sorts of just big circus-like spectacles. The city as a whole was a center of indulgence and pursuit of the flesh. And if you were with us when we went through our first Corinthians study, it was a lot like Corinth. So imagine that I go visit Las Vegas for a week, and after a week out there, I come back, and I report that over half the city is converted to Christianity, including the entire strip. All of the people that we consider to be crazy and wild and without an ambition convert to Christianity. I'd imagine that I'd hear from at least a few of you the phrase, I'd have to see it to believe it. Am I right on that? Can I assume correctly there? Well, though it doesn't explicitly say in this text, most theologians, or theologians will confirm and do record that Barnabas going to Antioch was just as much to check in on the situation as it was to come along the aside the church and help it to grow. So if you remember, they sent Barnabas to Jerusalem after hearing word that Christians have been popping up there. When they heard that a church had started in Antioch, I'm sure they were excited. But knowing the kind of place that Antioch was, it seems that Barnabas was there just as much to make sure that everything was up to board so to speak. And so here we are. People have been spread out across the land thanks to the persecution they faced primarily at the hands of Saul. And God begins to use that tragedy to start to form his church in Antioch where he sends Barnabas. We pick up in verse 23. It says, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Whoa, okay. It seems like we skipped a lot of things there. 
like a lot of things are happening in between the lines of the scripture. It like feels really jolty to me. So let's just break this down. So in verse 23, we see Barnabas show up in Antioch. He gets there and what? He sees the grace of God through the conversions of these many people. And his immediate response was to encourage them. So he gets here probably most likely to make sure that these were actually Christians and not some crazy false witnesses. And the first thing he sees is the grace of God. And he was glad. And he encourages them. Remain faithful in the Lord. He has a purpose for you. It says large numbers of people were added to the church as a result of Barnabas showing up. And he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Remember that little bit. It's going to be important. Then immediately in verse 25, he leaves to go get help in teaching and leading the church. But he didn't go back to Jerusalem, who initially sent him. Jerusalem sent him to Antioch. But when he needed help leading the church, he did not go back to Jerusalem. Where did he go? He went to Tarsus to search for Saul. What? Christianity made it to Antioch because Saul was ravaging the church. Christianity spread out the way it did because of the persecution that the church faced, primarily at the hand of Saul. And now, Barnabas thinks it's best to grab Saul and bring him along for the ride as he begins to minister to this church in Antioch. So if you remember back to chapter 9, though, Barnabas was actually the first one to vouch for Saul to the apostles as none of them would let him near them for fear that he'd kill them. But Barnabas vouched for them, or vouched for Saul. So Barnabas trusts Saul enough to bring him into Antioch and look at verse 25. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught in large numbers. So not only does Barnabas bring him into the fold and and bring him in to lead the church. But Saul comes alongside Barnabas and leads this church that he'd previously been persecuting. Do you think it was easy for Saul to lead a church he's previously persecuted? Do you think it was easy for the church to follow that man that had killed so many of them, imprisoned so many of them? Why did that work? Well, think about where these people had been. These people of Antioch, they knew what it meant to be consumed by their own flesh. They knew what it meant to do wrong. They knew what it meant to be apart from the Lord. And when they heard the gospel message, when it reached Antioch, it changed them. They became empowered by the Holy Spirit to be different people, a more Christ-like people. These people that knew firsthand the transformative power of Jesus Christ in their lives. Them knowing that transformative power of Jesus Christ in their own lives allowed them to trust that Paul too had been transformed. So what was the first thing that Barnabas saw when he came to Antioch? 
He came and he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. These people had been changed. And when the people of Antioch look at Saul of Tarsus, they don't see the atrocities of that man's past or the people he's killed or the people that he's imprisoned. No, they see the new man that he has become in Christ. They see a faithful and willing servant ready to lead the church. So why was this church ever able to grow so much? We see mentioned time and time again how the numbers grew because the grace of God was working in them as they brought new believers into the fold, into their new church. Numbers abounded as this church began to take a foothold But let me ask you this. In the church of Antioch, do you think that it was the best of the best walking into that church, coming to know Jesus? Do you think that it was those moral high ground people that just didn't happen to know Jesus yet? I'm sure a few of them were. But I bet most of them, a lot like us, made their way to the church, lost and broken. So if an ex-convict walks into our church next week with scars across his face and his body covered head to toe in prison ink, would you accept him? Or the town drunk finds his way into our church, would you accept him? This church is able to grow. This church is able to abound here in Antioch because they know what it's like to be transformed by Jesus. They know what it's like to be transformed by Jesus. So when a brother or sister comes into the fold, they welcome them with open arms, even if that person, like Saul, has been murdering and displacing Christians up until their conversion. God started his church through tragedy and he grows his church through the faithful. And not just the faithful who go like Saul and Barnabas who go and they be the forefront, they be the leaders for the church. No, it's also the faithful congregants of his church whose lives are marked by the grace of God. That was the first thing that Barnabas saw when he came to Antioch. And we see in verse 26 how that became apparent to everyone who came into contact with them. It says that it it was in Antioch that they were first called Christians. That isn't there by accident or as a forethought. That word Christian, that comes from the Greek word Christianos, meaning belonging to Christ or follower of Christ. And many people at this time would have used that term derogatorily towards Christ followers. It was a way to mock them. It was a way to belittle them. Though the people at this time, the people here in Antioch, to them, it became more of a badge of honor. It was there that people first became known as Christians. 
This congregation truly reflected Christ in how quickly they latched onto the gospel and let it permeate their lives. How they let it abound in them and how they let grace become the marker of who they were. These were truly Christ followers. And so we find ourselves here in verse 27 through 30 wrapping up our snapshot into the church of Antioch. It starts in verse 27. It says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to elders by hand of Barnabas and Saul. So we see some time has passed, and and Jerusalem has been sending prophets down to Antioch. And Agabus shows up, a prophet from Jerusalem, and tells them that there's going to be a famine in Rome. Again, hard left. So he he shares that there's going to be a famine in Rome, and to them, the church in Antioch, it was no secret that a famine would negatively affect the church in Judea. So what was the church's response? To send everything. So the the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Imagine if Troy Nesbitt showed up next week and was like, there's going to be a famine in Ames, Iowa, and most of our congregation is going to be without food for weeks, maybe even months. What would your response be? Do you see how the church in Antioch responds to this? Every person gave as much as he could. Read that again, verse 29. So the disciples, that's everyone, determined that everyone according to his own ability, that's as much as anybody could give, to send relief to the brothers and sisters living in Judea. Would your response be to round up every spare thing you can give according to your own ability and send it to the church in Corner, or the Cornerstone Church in Ames if they had a famine. Why was their reaction so strong to this? Because they weren't focused on themselves individually. They weren't even focused on themselves as the church of Antioch. They were focused on God's church, the big C church. They knew that in order for the gospel to spread, like the gospel had been spread to them, that the church would have to work together in unity. When one falters, the other would falter. So the people in Antioch, having the hand of the Lord with them, being led by faithful men, filled with the Holy Spirit, through a prophecy given to them by the Holy Spirit, sent everything they could to Judea before the famine even happened. It hasn't even happened yet. It doesn't say that they waited. It doesn't say that they mobilized and waited for the call that the famine had started. This prophet shows up, prophesies that there's going to be a famine. And these guys are like, oh man, we got to help with that. We got to help. Do we place that much value on the church? 
Do we place that much value on how the Spirit is speaking to us and moving us to act? That if the Ephri church up the road burned to the ground, would you feel so compelled by the Spirit of God moving within you to give everything that you can to help them rebuild? God started his church through tragedy, through the persecution of Christians. And he grew his church through faithful men like Barnabas and Saul and like the faithful congregants in the church of Antioch. And that's been the story since the very beginning. God working through tragedy in spite of us most of the time to redeem us. Growing us on the backs of those who are faithful and sustaining us through unity. Being able to stand together as one body of believers to profess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Verse 26 says that Antioch was the place that people were first called Christians. And they didn't choose that name themselves. That name was given to them by the way that they lived their lives following Jesus. By the way they quickly latched onto the gospel and let it permeate who they were. And let the grace of God be the first thing that Barnabas saw when he shows up to Antioch. Do you wear your name Christian proudly and marked by your faithfulness and devotion to Christ? Or do you use it as a wall to hide behind because maybe if you call yourself a Christian, they might actually think that you're a good person. Maybe if you call yourself a Christian, they might not think that you have any problems. That's been the tainted nature of our word Christian. So many people use it as a wall to hide behind. That it's lost its meaning. This is a church that from the beginning placed Jesus in the center. And through that they were empowered by the Spirit of God to do tremendous things. Do you see this throughout this entire scripture we have here? The hand of God is over them. The spirit of the Lord was in them. They were faithful. This is God working through them to do tremendous things. They were among the first to share the good news of Jesus Christ with non-Jews. They were excited for and accepting of new believers. Even Saul of Tarsus who ravaged the church for years and now leading this church in Antioch. And they generously gave to the church everything that they had to support them through famine. All in just a short time. That is what it means to be a Christian. It's not a label we give ourselves. It's a label we earn by the way that we live our lives. Do you let the tragedy in your life be an anchor to what you can accomplish? Or do you let Christ work through that tragedy and be an anchor for your soul? Do you remain faithful to the Lord in everything so that he may be able to grow you and the church by his grace? Or would you rather hang on to grudges against others who have hurt you and not experience the freedom of grace? Do you know what it's like to be in unity with not just a group of people in this room, but with every Christ follower on this planet? This may seem like a lackluster story compared to what we've seen and encountered up until this point, but it's the simplicity of this chapter 
that we see how God uses his people in powerful ways, how God uses persecution to build a church. Are you in a position to be used by God the way that God used the church in Antioch? And would the outside world today look into our church and see the way that we're living and think to themselves that they are truly Christians? Let's pray. Heavenly Father,